The World Economic Forum recently hosted the first in-person Davos meeting in more than two years, and you can catch up with the action on our podcast, Radio Davos, which looks at the world's biggest challenges and how we might solve them, long-form interviews on Meet the Leader, and bringing you the complete audio from some of the most fascinating discussions in Davos, Agenda Dialogues. You'll hear some of the world's sharpest minds, like Tom Friedman, who's asked, is globalization dead? If World War I didn't stop globalization, if World War II didn't stop globalization, what makes you think the war between Ukraine and Russia is going to stop globalization? The biggest economists, like the IMF's Gita Gopinath, on the future of economic growth. I've heard people worry about wages going up is a problem because that can feed into inflation. This is to be very clear. Prices going up is inflation. Certainly could see an environment where wages go up, but that doesn't have to necessarily generate a wage price spiral. Psychologist Adam Grant on the four-day week. And we want to plan work around life as opposed to vice versa, which too many of us, particularly in the West, have done for too long. Is the four-day week actually viable? In discussions moderated by A-list journalists challenging the consensus. 2021, we were told that this was transitory inflation. 2022, the beginning of, we were told this is transitory inflation. The causes of that inflation were misdiagnosed. Wherever you get your podcasts, to listen in on the action at Davos 2022, subscribe to Agenda Dialogues. The first time I said dance or die was not for the war. It was for my father when he was beating me. I know it's a harsh thing to say dance or die. I didn't have another choice. Welcome to Radio Davos, the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might solve them. This week we hear from Ahmad Jude, who performed at the gala concert at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos 2022, and who is using his success as a dancer to speak up for the millions of people who, like him, were born without a nationality. They gave me a permit written nationality stat laws, which means stateless. And I found out that so many people, millions of people are stateless in the Arab countries. Because of his urge to dance, Ahmad Jude was rejected by his father and even threatened by religious extremists. So I was quite well known. That made me a target for extremists, especially like ISIS or Al-Qaeda in Syria. I faced them face to face, let's say gun to face. Subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a rating and a review, and join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Pomeroy at the World Economic Forum, and with this interview with Ahmad Jude, dancer and advocate for the stateless... I go to my ballet class every day to improve myself, to become an elegant voice for them. This is Radio Davos. A high point of every World Economic Forum annual meeting is the official concert, which this year was performed by Yo-Yo Ma and Emmanuel Axe. That's what you're hearing now. While the musicians played a Catalan folk song about freedom called The Song of the Birds, projected onto a huge screen behind them was a solo dance. Like the music, the dance was pared down, simple and elegant. You can watch the whole thing on the Forum's website. What you won't see or hear there is Ahmad Jude's remarkable backstory. But you'll hear that on this episode of Radio Davos, where we hear from Ahmad about he overcame statelessness, war and prejudice to become a successful dancer and advocate for stateless refugees. Here's a little of that story before we hear from Ahmad himself. 
He was born in 1990 in Yarmouk, a Palestinian refugee camp in Syria, the son of a Palestinian refugee father and a Syrian mother, with, he later found out, no official nationality of his own. He saw his first ballet performance at the age of eight and realised that's what he wanted to do. At the age of 16, totally self-taught, he was accepted into Syria's main ballet company and began a successful career in dance. While his mother supported his dream, his father, as we shall hear, severely disapproved. And when he gained fame on the Arabic version of the TV competition So You Think You Can Dance, he also came to the unwanted attention of Islamist militants. In 2016, he moved to the Netherlands with the help of the Dutch National Ballet and now uses his platform to speak up for the millions of people who, like him, were born stateless and therefore lacking in many of the basic human rights most of us take for granted. When Ahmad Jude came to Geneva to film his dance performance for Davos, my colleague Joseph Fowler, head of arts and culture at the World Economic Forum, spoke to him and started by asking how come he grew up in a refugee camp. Well, I found myself in the Yarmouk camp in Syria and um, <clears throat> there where I was born and there where I had my childhood. It was incredible childhood. I loved my life. I was surrounded with my family. I was loved, I was appreciated, and the world to me was that camp. Until I decided to become a dancer, everything turned around. Certain organizations and groups threatened to kill you if you danced. Can you talk about the forces working against your dancing, why it was forbidden, and how this was enforced? Well, suddenly, like, um, after a little while that we lost our house in the Yermu camp and we had to leave the Yermu camp. I had a call from fr a friend from Lebanon, actually, and he said, did you check your Facebook? I'm like, no. So I went to check my Facebook, and then I found um, photos of me with written wanted, and some of comments like, how could he survive our knives, and these kind of stuff. I didn't take it that serious, but I made some screenshots and kept it in case something happens. It was a war and all of these uh, situations. Um, two days after, I received a call from an anonymous number. Somebody called me and he was like, yeah, we want to cut your head. We will get your mom. We will get your sister and these kind of words. And I'm like, who are you? Who are you? Blah, blah. And then I started to receive on my uh, Facebook Messenger as well uh, messages and these kind of things. And I went to the, to the police and I was like, hey, I'm receiving threats. Like, oh, is, this, is, this is something serious. And they're, they're like, yeah, get away from here. We have something more important to take care of. Um, well, I understand the, the, the country was falling apart and stuff. So this is how it, it started. And it kept going until I just stopped taking those, those calls. Suddenly, one of those calls was with um, the Ministry of, um, of the Media in Syria that they called me, and then a woman was on the phone. I was like, oh, a woman? Okay. Hello. <laughs> Who are you? And then she said, um, yeah, I'm from the Ministry of the Media in Syria, and there is somebody who sent you a friend request on Facebook you didn't accept. And I'm like, how do you know this? She's like, there is someone who wants to work with you, which is Rosbeka Boli. So basically, those anonymous calls were like to bring me death, and then suddenly a call of them was to bring me a new life. Wow, wow. 
as a kid in the Al Yamut camp, do you think that dancing in a way saved your life? Well, when I lived in the Yarmouk camp, I always hidden the fact that I am a dancer. Because in a camp for stateless refugees, education was not enough to, edu to educate people or to make them aware of what is ballet. And ballet for a man there, something to be ashamed of. Because ballet for them is just the tutu and the point, the pointus for the, <laughs> the woman. And they don't even think how difficult and how much power the man needs to be a ballet dancer. So I kept it for myself. And of course, my father, he is the main reason why I kept it for myself. Because my father is an artist. He's a musician and he's a painter. He makes art. And he was strongly against me being a, a ballet dancer. So if this person would not understand me, how can the camp understand me? So I kept it away from other people until I was on TV and then people found out and I was like shamed for it. Um, yeah, unfortunately the war started and we lost our house in a bomb. So we had to leave the camp. Where to me always was I am the reason, I am the reason, I am the reason. Why? Because my father and mother, they are separated because that I'm a dancer. She is still and used to be the main support for me, my mom. And that costed her to get divorced. And that made my brother and sister as well be like, yes, you're the reason for our family to be broken. And that as well put pressure on me of making it up for them. So I had to work with my mom to rent a place, to bring my, my sister and my brother, to help them study and to help them get a, ni a nice and good and a successful life, which they have a great life now. I'm so proud of them. My brother is a composer and a painter as well. He's a teacher uh, for fine art in Syria. And my sister, she's an um, Islamic world uh, champion for uh, athletes. So, yeah, I'm proud of them. They still live, live in Damascus with my mom. So you come from an artistic family? Yes, I come from an artistic family. Unfortunately, my father not educated enough artistically to accept ballet. And this is the wound that never healed. <laughs> we got together and we met and we made um, up for all of this uh, internal war between me and him. We are like friends, but we never understand each other. I cannot understand him. How can you be an artist and you don't accept ballet? Or how can you be an artist, you love music, and you don't love dance? To me, dance is making music with your own body, the most precious instrument that a person can have. So I don't understand him, to be honest. You have a tattoo on your neck. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that, when you got it, and what it says, and what it means to you? My tattoo is my life. Actually, the first time, it, it is dance or die. And the first time I said dance or die was not for the war. It was for my father when he was beating me. He was beating me saying, study or dance, you know, like dance or die. Because <laughs> he tried everything you can imagine to stop me from dancing. He tried to injure me and he tried to stop me from going to school because he learned that I wanted to study in the higher institute 
for uh, dramatic arts, the dance department, where I am already graduated from, which is a huge success for me. Um, so he tried all of this to stop me, and to me, started with him, it's dance or die. And the war, as well, brought extremists to Syria, to our country. And instead of just hiding it in the camp, I started to hide it everywhere, where I couldn't hide it anymore because I was on TV and on posters in theaters. I was a soloist in Inanna Dance Theater, and my photos everywhere. And yeah, my videos as well. And I was teaching kids in SOS children villages uh, dancing. And so I was quite well known. And that made me a target for extremists, especially like ISIS or Al-Qaeda in Syria. I faced them face to face, let's say gun to face. And yeah, I had a gun in my, my head uh, three times. And I survived it. And you survived. Yeah. And you came to Europe. So can you talk a little bit about how you came to Europe, that, that journey? Remaining who I am and fighting for who I am as an artist during this war, and during, yeah, all the darkness and death and everything happening around me, um, it just didn't destroy what is within me. So I was still carrying on my training. And even after I graduated from the Higher Institute of Dramatic Arts, I was supposed to go to the army. And then I had only three months to prepare papers and to say goodbye to the family and all of this. So I went to the rooftop where the place where we were renting. And I made a dance video and I put it there on YouTube as the last dance I could do. And um, a Dutch journalist found this video and he connected to me and he came to Syria and he made a reportage about me. That took two months and I only had a month before I go to the army. And when the this reportage went online, it went viral, and I started to, re to receive like tons of amount of invitations everywhere. It sounded to me unreal, uh, until I had a call from Ted Branson, and he was basically calling me every day, telling me, we will make it happen. I'm like, how would you make it happen? I have a travel document for stateless refugees. You ca they cannot give me a, a visa on this. It's not a passport. I could travel to the Arab countries because they have agreements between each other, but to Europe, how could you give me a visa? And he was like, keeping, keep saying to me, we will make it happen. And then they gave me a visa on a separate paper. And then I went to Amsterdam, invited by the Dutch National Ballet after the Dance for Peace Foundation was made. And there I got my, let's say, let's say rebirth. I get to, yeah, start my life again, learn another language, learn everything around me, get to know these people, this culture, all those bikes around me <laughs> in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. So your story is both very personal and at the same time it's universal as well. Can you talk a bit about displaced people and, and refugees? Yes, actually I realized that I am stateless uh, and I don't have a country when I was in the Netherlands because they gave me a permit written nationality statlos, which means stateless. And I was like, what does that mean? And they said, you don't have a country. And I was like, but I was born in Syria. I lived all my life in Syria. They're like, yeah, but you don't have Syrian nationality. You're not Syrian. And I was like, I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> like, really? 
who who um, am I, you know? And that's the moment when I realized that Palestinian refugees in Syria, they are not even Palestinians. They are not Syrians. Even though I have a Syrian mother, she doesn't have the right to give her kids her nationality. And that's most Arab countries low till now. So, yeah, I lived all my life thinking or I thought I'm Syrian. I thought I'm both Syrian and Palestinian, but I realized I'm neither this or that. And I was, I felt I was fooled because all the education in the school taught me how much I should love my country, which is Syria. But that doesn't define that Syria is not my country. Syria, the land is my country. Syria, the people are, are my family, all of them. So I am very much connected to Syria, the land and the people. Um, then I started to look more into statelessness. And I found out that so many people, millions of people are stateless in the Arab countries. And I found out that we don't even have rights. I never thought of voting or something like that because I was never told that I have this kind of right. I, I, I was never told that everything my father could buy or own was on my mother's name just because she's Syrian and he's stateless. He doesn't have the right to own something. So I start looking into this and it hurted me so much that we were not told that. I found out about it. And then during the Syrian war, people used to leave Syria, right? They want to leave to find new future. Stateless people were not allowed to leave their cities. They were in a siege in the Yarmouk camp. People died out of hunger. And that's all you can find on the media, if you look for it. So if you are a Syrian, you have a passport, you can just get a visa to Turkey and start your death journey, as they call it. But if you are stateless, you die where you are. I am super lucky that I am a dancer and I got seen and liked and shared on social media and that's why I got all these opportunities. But other people, they are still there and they are still struggling and dying and yeah, life is horrible in there. And um, I want to be their voice. I, I, I go to my ballet class every day to, to improve myself and practice to become an elegant voice for them. So the people with this privileged life would listen to me when I ask them just to think of them. Don't think of government or war or something. Think of those people who doesn't have a voice, who doesn't have enough food to eat. It's interesting when you say um, you go to your, your daily dance training um, in order to create a, an elegant voice. Um, it's beautifully put and I understand that and I can relate to that. Um, and it's interesting what you're saying also about uh, your perception of, of refugees because um, frequently the perception of refugees, we don't perceive them um, as um, anything but victims of circumstance. Um, we don't, um, you know, you're a, a perfect example of this, you know, you're a, an incredibly talented, bright, educated uh, man 
and yet you were born a refugee. So you, you do, um, you're successful in your, in your efforts, I want to say, is you, you really are shining uh, a different light on, on, the, on how we perceive refugees. So you're absolutely achieving that. Um, in September 2021, you published your first book. I'm saying first because I'm hoping there's going to be more. Um, it was called Dance or Die, so it has the same name as your, as your tattoo. Um, and it's been called Heartbreaking and Life-Affirming in Equal Measure. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, how the book came about? Well, Dance or Die, it started, as I told you, since I was uh, yeah, 17 years old in the camp still. It became my motto of life and it became my life value. I know it's a harsh thing to say dance or die. I didn't have another choice and that's true. That's the truth. But my life, it is about dance or die even now. Like it is who I am. And my life story, I believe, it's a mission for me. It's not about me only. It's a story for millions of people. It's a story for every stateless person who had to struggle and suffer all of this just because he was born somewhere. And it's a story of every refugee that being referred to as them or the others or the refugees or something. You, you, you could be a refugee who over, who, whoever is looking to this <laughs> video. You could be a refugee tomorrow Hopefully not with a war or anything else, but it could be an earthquake. It could be anything else that can make you a refugee. I was born as a refugee. I have never asked for refuge to any country or in any country. I was taken to the Netherlands with a student visa. But I was born as a refugee. Well, we need to discuss this maybe. Um, so the story has a value and this value I wanted it to be there that anyone can just take it, dive into it, read it, see my dancing words, and see how I perceived this war from, from the kid me into the dancer me, into the one who I am today. So dance or die is more than who I am. It's more than me. I am just a passenger. And I believe this story has to be told, has to be given to the people who needs it to realize how privileged they are, how lucky they are to have their life here in the Western world and to become a voice for every stateless person in where I came from. That's why Dance or Die is there. And as well as being uh, an incredibly successful author, you've also created um, a foundation, which is also called uh, Dance or Die, the Dance or Die Foundation, for which you are the artistic director. Can you tell me a little bit about the mission of the foundation and the work that the foundation does? Yes, actually, as you can see, uh, as you can see, I'm very connected and very busy with uh, charity work. <laughs> So I needed some support to my artistic work. Like when I work with a choreographer or when I want to pay my ballet classes or when I want to pay a studio rent or this kind of stuff, I need support for that. I cannot do it myself, by myself. So I couldn't do anything by myself. Actually, without all the people supporting me, I would not achieve what I achieved today or what we achieved today together. 
So that is what Dance or Die Foundation for, is to support my artistic projects. Hopefully it's still new, it's still just out there. And I hope it will be um, a great support for the mission of telling my story and being a voice for stateless people and for kids. You serve as a high-profile supporter of the UN Refugee Agency, and you're also an international friend for SOS Children's uh, Villages International. Can you tell me a little bit about your current work fighting for human rights uh, of children and refugees? Growing up as a kid in the, in the refugee camp, now I understand what these kids feel like. So I visited so many um, villages for SOS children, villages in Europe and in uh, Syria, Middle East, let's say. And I gave dance workshops for those kids. I gave, um, yeah, and beside giving lessons to the kids, I, I talk to them as well and I connect to them and I make them dance together. I make them more connected to each other with dancing and I teach them what dance taught me how to present myself, how to be confident, and how to deal with all these, let's say, challenges during the daily life as SOS kid, refugee kid, uh, stateless kid. So these titles on those little kids, they don't understand why, you, why they are here. They don't understand. So it's nice to teach them something that they can value their bodies and value their being and force their power into this world. So with dancing, I teach them how to be, how to present uh, themselves. And uh, I did as well uh, so many shows, charity events for SOS Children Villages International, starting from Italy, actually. Um, and for uh, UNHCR, I just got this work with them, and I'm very proud of it. I'm very happy to be chosen and recognized as a voice for refugees. Because let me tell you something, if I stayed in the Arab countries, I'm not sure I would be recognized as a person or as an, or, or as an artist respectful enough to be a voice for refugees. Because I lived there 26 years of my life and I was born there and they didn't even consider me as a citizen. They didn't even give me a nationality. I lived in the Netherlands three years and I got a nationality. And I am considered as a Dutch artist and I'm presented there this way. A minister came on TV to say, welcome to me. I presented the Netherlands in Eurovision as presenting the diversity of the Netherlands as a Dutch artist. So this difference between where I spend my childhood and my life and where I'm just blossoming in here. Why didn't I blossom in my own country? Because my own country is the Netherlands. Ahmad Judeh was speaking to Joseph Fowler. You can see his dance at Davos on our website and find out more about him on his website, ahmadjudeh.com. Please subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review and join the conversation about this podcast or any podcast at the World Economic Forum Podcast Club. Look for that on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was presented by me, Robin Pomeroy. Studio production was by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back next week. But for now, thanks to you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>